please won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbor. I'm glad we're together again. Good morning, everybody. When I was growing up, that was a daily staple in my television diet. Mr. Rogers, um, who got us all thinking about what it means to be a neighbor and, and who our neighbors are. And, and what, what we learn actually from the life of Fred Rogers is that he was inspired by Jesus to look at people as neighbors. Because it turns out that Mr. Rogers was the second most famous person to ask the question, who is my neighbor? Um, Jesus, 2,000 years prior, had a lot to say about what it meant to be a neighbor in his very famous parable called the Good Samaritan. And so this summer, we're walking through the book of Luke and looking at some of the main, um, it's tough to say there are main stories from the life of Jesus, but some of the more known, uh, bigger teachings uh, from the life of Jesus in the book of Luke. And we land on the Good Samaritan this morning. And, and we're looking through these Jesus stories and asking the question, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And remember that we, we talk about this a lot at Polaris. We're not trying to believe the right things about Jesus only. Like, it's important to believe the right things about Jesus. But it's not just about believing the right things. Uh, it's about following the teachings of Jesus. We're not really a disciple. We're not really a follower of Jesus unless we do the things that Jesus taught. So we're going to look through these teachings, and in this case, the Good Samaritan, and ask, what is Jesus saying to me, and then how will I respond? What is Jesus saying to me? And this is the best way to read your Bible. What is God saying, and what am I going to do because he's saying that? So, um, Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, and, and, and uh, many of you have probably heard of the Good Samaritan and, and associate it with helping people. Um, for instance, I think about the CVS Samaritan van that pulls up next to random um, cars that have car trouble and, and, and tries to help. So we associate it with that. But what many don't realize is that this whole story was told as Jesus' response to a pretty big question. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read it. I believe that the words are going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to start in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, that means a Bible scholar. So on one occasion, a Bible scholar, a really religious guy, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit, step into eternal life? It's a pretty big question. What is written in the law, Jesus replied. In other words, do what's written in the law. How do you read it? And then the man, the, the, the religious expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now you will live. That tells us that we're not talking about heaven after we die here. We're talking about living today in an eternal 
kind of life, getting a part of being a part of something bigger than the day-to-day, an eternal life that's available now. We can live if we do this. Uh, But the man wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wants to find the bare minimum. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, if I have to love my neighbor, then then let's categorize here so I, I know who my neighbors are so that I can only love them instead of like loving everybody and in reply Jesus told this story a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead so he's a bloody mess in a ditch a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side Didn't even go on the same side of the road. Kept his distance. This is a priest. So to a Levite. Another level of priesthood. When he came to the place and saw him. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. As he traveled. Came where the man was. And when he saw him. He took pity. Or he had compassion on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, a medicine, on his wounds. And he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two uh, coins worth a day's wage each. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law, the Bible scholar, replied, the one who had mercy on him, the one who actually did something to solve the problem. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So that's the story of the Good Samaritan. Now let's break it down and try to find how it can be relevant to our life uh, today in 2014. Uh, So let's start with this question. How do I receive eternal life? How do I inherit or step into an eternal kind of life? How do I transcend the mundane day to day, and join something bigger than this. Do you long for that? I think that, that, that a lot of us, myself included, sometimes we get caught up in the day to day, like we're living for the next thing of the day, we crash into bed at night, and it just seems like one day after the next, just maintaining, but there are thoughts, man, there could be something bigger than this. Maybe there's an eternal kind of story that God is telling in this world, and maybe I could be a part of it. If we dare to dream that, that isn't there something more than that next um, purchase or that next task or the next uh, event that your kid has? And your life just kind of becomes a cycle of getting through that next small thing until you've taken months or years and, and, and have just kind of lived day to day. Um, but, but Jesus has asked here, how do we transcend the day to day and become a part of the eternal story that God is telling? And, and Jesus says, plain and simple, center your life around God and around people. 
And I think most of us here would agree with that. I mean, how do you not? Yeah, that sounds right. God and people. But then the man asks the question that prompts sort of the spiritual wrecking ball to come out where Jesus just blows up the religious scene of that day. He says, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love? And that sends Jesus on an explanation of what it really means to be involved and what kinds of people are involved in God's eternal kind of life. So let's start with the big picture here. Uh, what's really going on? And, and so up front, we can know clearly that an eternal kind of life is a life of, a redemption, of, of redemption. Jesus says, do this and you will live. The question on the table is, what's an eternal kind of life? And Jesus' answer is, it's a life where you help fix the broken thing. And the Bible is clear that God is a redeemer God and that an eternal kind of life is a redeemer life because God is working slowly and steadily to redeem creation. And he'll use anybody who wants to jump on board. He will use you, he will use me. An eternal kind of life is a life of redemption where you do something to fix the thing because God is redeeming creation. That's his eternal work right now. You might say that we're in act three of the human story. The first act was creation and, and God's dream of humanity in paradise. And that act ended with rebellion and sin entering the world when we chose our own way. Then the second act was God preparing the way for redemption. He created the laws and, and, and showed things that would point to Jesus. He's showing what it means to follow him and what grace really looks like. And then act three was the coming of Jesus where he brought his way of life, where God began to truly redeem things. Jesus paid the price for sin and commissioned his followers to put the broken stuff back together. So this is the age of redemption that we live in. And if we want to, if we want to join with God, and an eternal kind of life, it means that we are aware that God is redeeming things. We're aware of the mess around us, and we're actually going to do something about the mess. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 says this, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. So that fulfillment there. The fulfillment is when all things have been unified. When all things have been redeemed. Creation is being redeemed. And fulfillment is redemption. This world is fulfilled. The times are fulfilled when Jesus has redeemed everything. So this world is about redemption. It's about fixing the broken. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to engage in an eternal kind of life, it means that we are going to be active in the redemptive process. So let me frame this a little bit more and dig a little bit deeper, get a little more personal for you and me. This is a person half dead in a ditch. Represents people in the worst of messes. 
So if you say you follow Jesus, are you working to redeem any kind of mess like that? Am I working to redeem any kind of mess like that? See, this goes beyond neighbor helping neighbor. This is not about lending a weed whip when your neighbor's weed whip is broken. No, that's a good thing. This isn't about letting a neighbor borrow a couple of eggs so they can finish making their cupcakes. This is about stepping into a mess where the person has no ability in the foreseeable future to repay you. Jesus says if you want to live an eternal kind of life, you're doing something about that kind of mess. And so the question for us is, are we engaged in doing anything redemptive in a real mess for somebody who has no way to repay us? So again, suburbia. I live in suburbia, and it's very easy to help take somebody from good to better or even okay to good, just by random acts of kindness or intentional acts of kindness throughout the day. But Jesus is talking about engaging in a kind of life where we see the mess and we're really doing things to fix the mess. So what is Jesus saying to you? And how are you going to respond? This isn't the only place that Jesus speaks like this. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on a glorious throne. This is talking about the end of this world as we know it. This is Judgment Day. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did, were you a stranger we invited you in? Or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply... Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, the least, those incapable, the, the least, the half-dead, however you treated them, you treated me. Whatever you did for them, you did for me. So Jesus says what matters to him is how we respond to people who are at their rock bottom. How we treat the brokenness around us is how we treat Jesus. So are you, and I have to ask myself this too, what are we really doing as individual followers of Jesus for people 
who can't help themselves or who are at rock bottom or who can't truly pay us back. What are we doing for the least of these? Now the next part of this story is that it seems that Jesus is saying everybody plays. In God's kingdom, everybody plays. As my boys enter into elementary school and elementary age sports, I'm learning what it means, uh, the difference between sort of selective playing when you have to make the team or, or, or a rec league, everybody plays. And, and, and when everybody plays, things can get really, really messy. But it seems here like Jesus is saying everybody can play. And this is good news for you and me because it means we get to play, we get to live in this eternal kind of life no matter how awful the people we are. The bad news for churchy people is that it's not just for um, the people who believe the right thing and vote the right way and look the same and talk the same and think the same and, and like it's not like this comfy club. Everybody can play. And this is important because one of the first responses we may have to who can live an eternal redemptive life is, I'm not worthy of joining God in, in his redemptive plan. Uh, but Jesus blows that up with the good Samaritan. See, we've come to associate Samaritans with good people. Like, like he was a Samaritan or she's a Samaritan. That means they did something to help. It's seen as a good thing. There are like good Samaritan laws which deal with trying to help people. But in Jesus' day and time, this was a scandalous statement. This was offensive. Like, if you were a, a, a God-fearing Jew, you didn't go through Samaria. You didn't talk to Samaritans. And you sure as heck did not use a Samaritan as an example for godly living. This was a scandalous statement. Using the Samaritan as the good guy in the story. But what Jesus was doing through that is he was saying, what's an eternal kind of life? Even Samaritans, even people far from God can live an eternal kind of life. When you're willing to do something redemptive and point to Jesus as the source of the compassion, that's an eternal kind of life. And everybody can play. Now I want to take a few minutes and examine two of the character types in the story as we try to get even more personal. There are two types of bad guys in the story. The bandits and religious people. Isn't that crazy? The two bad guys in the story is the, 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 the bandits and the churchgoer, or the clergy. So let's talk through the religious people for a moment, because I'm afraid that many churchgoers today get trapped in some of these same areas. The priests and the temple workers had to be very careful what they came into contact with. They were on their way uh, to, to serve, most likely. 
They were on their way to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And you couldn't come into contact with blood or you wouldn't be allowed to do your responsibilities in the temple. You, you couldn't touch a dead person. He's half dead. Maybe they, they didn't know. They, they didn't know where he had been. And these were all things that would have been on their mind. Could have affected their ability to fulfill their role in the temple or church. And it certainly could have affected their reputation because now they're unclean. Because when you touch something that had been somewhere, you yourself became unclean. So you had to be really good at labeling the mess. You had to be able to see the mess from a distance and say, that's, that's unclean. I'm going to stay away from that. So these were people who were constantly putting principles and rules above people. You could say the religious person is able to discern the problem and the uncleanliness. They can label something unclean, but they do nothing actively to fix it. Now, I see this today in myself. Sometimes I'm tempted to say, well, you made your bed, now lay in it. You made the bad financial decision. You made the bad lifestyle decision. This is the mess that you've made for yourself. Lay in the bed you've made. In the story, does anybody remember where the, the victim was headed? Remember what city? He was headed to Jericho. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously dangerous. Lots of places uh, where, where you could be outflanked by the bad guys, by robbers, thugs, thieves. And this would have been well known in Jesus' day and a part of the story because Jesus is specific to paint the picture. This was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that you shouldn't have been on by yourself. And so it would have been really easy to pass this guy and say, well, you got what you deserved. But pointing out the fault was not an acceptable response. Compassion is what Jesus indicates as the right response. Compassion even for people who have done things and made decisions to deserve in some way their situation. <clears throat> Another problem with the religious people in the story is that they're busy. They're thinking about other things. They're headed somewhere. There's no time. They got to get somewhere. They are on their way to church. No time to deal with the mess. And this is a problem in the church throughout this country where people are so busy engaged in church stuff. that they don't have time or aren't making time for the mess. Now, I talk about this every now and then, and you know, a lot of new people at Polaris, so you know our story. There was a day and time in Polaris's history when Sunday morning church, Monday night men's, Tuesday night women's, Wednesday night was our midweek service, Thursday night was our, our team groups for ministry teams, and Friday and Saturday would often be some kind of an event. 
That's just about every night of the week that we would say, you need to, we want you to be here. We want you to, this is what it means to be engaged. <clears throat> Add to that your homeowner responsibilities and some family things, and, and suddenly you're completely engaged in church culture, but you have zero time to get to know your neighbors, to get to know your coworkers, to get to know their names and their stories, to invest. You can't help with anything. You can't redeem anything because you're so busy living the God lifestyle through church. Now notice, and this is it's a dangerous statement. Jesus doesn't seem to say that an eternal kind of life is a church kind of life. Now, Church is important. Being a part of the family of believers is important. So much so that, G, that, that the Bible says, do not forsake meeting together. But one might expect when asked, what's an eternal kind of life? Go to church every day. Get engrossed in all sorts of churchy stuff. But that's not it. The eternal kind of life took place outside of the church, in the ditch, with the half-dead bloody guy. That's where the eternal kind of life took place. And so the question for followers of Jesus to ask is, am I engaged in any of that? Is there evidence in my life that I'm engaged in an eternal kind of life? A life that meets the need out there. A life that redeems the rock bottom. And so listen, we don't have a lot of programs and a lot of events as a church. And it's intentional so that you have time to engage in the world around you. So it's really important as a follower of Jesus that you engage. We do small groups so that you can connect personally because that's really important that, that you develop genuine social community and spiritual community so we have small groups and really encourage you to get involved in that but it's important that you're engaging in the world around you because God has sent you there if we're going to engage we have to be aware because that's the next thing is just how what do, what do I do how do I how do I meet rock bottom and the best thing that I can do there's nothing that says that that Samaritan was out that day to to reach that guy he was aware of what was going on around him and he used the resources that he had seems that he realized that those coins they weren't his coins they were God's coins and that donkey, that wasn't his donkey, it was God's donkey. And those bandages and that medicine, they were God's. And he was aware of what was going on around him, and he used what he had to meet the need. And that's happening all over the place at Polaris right now. It's up to us to figure out our thing and engage. Take a look at this video about Mac Fife, who is Marcus, our worship pastor's wife.
Okay, well most people think of the Oaks as a crisis pregnancy center, which they are, but that's really a very small portion of what they do. They call themselves a family care center because it's a lot more comprehensive than that. Um, they have really like 15 different ministry areas, really all focused on strengthening and uplifting uh, local families as a whole. But the part that I see, the part that I do, has more to do with um, mostly women coming in, some families, some, some men too, um, and we schedule them for material goods. If they have like a financial or material sort of need, we get them connected or um, give them diapers, children's clothes, maternity clothes, food. There's a small food bank at the Oaks as well. Um, and uh, schedule counseling services if they're interested in that sort of thing. Um, and it's really, uh, it's a very accessible, like it's, there's, it's not judgmental. It's the sort of place I'd feel comfortable um, sending a friend to and have actually. So it's a very warm and welcoming place. Well, I started this spring but I put it off for a long time before that. It was something that I thought about really after I had kids and I have a really good support system. And I just kept thinking, if it's this hard for me, how hard is it if you don't have a strong support system around you? So I knew the Oaks worked to help um, single moms and that was what I was kind of most interested in. But I put it off and put it off and um, then we ended up buying a house like right across the street from the Oaks and I thought, hmm, maybe this is another thing God is nudging me. I should probably go over there and volunteer. Um, and it was like the, really had a, like a time with God and just like, it just came up kind of again out of the blue. I wasn't even thinking about it. And, um, that day I just knew God was telling me, hey, it's time to get over there. So Leanne was talking about the Oaks the very next day and I'm like, oh, I need to go put in an application. So I did. And so it just took a lot of nudging for me to get into it, honestly, but I'm very glad that I did. Well, for me, what I realized after getting into it was that I needed to see the way their faith plays out in that ministry. Um, I struggle with my faith, so being in a place where they really rely on God to just come through over and over again, both for the clients and for the staff, that's been very powerful and has really impacted me. Um, they like to tell a story about um, someone asking, oh, we're out of diapers, where do we order more diapers? And the answer is, they just pray for more diapers when they need them. So one of the things that's really intimidating is you never know who's going to be on the other end of that phone and who, what sort of background they're coming from or if I'm even equipped to talk to somebody um, that might be calling from a desperate situation. But it always works out that the right person is there for the right client and sometimes an intimidating call will come in and I'll be tied up and I won't be there to take that particular one, but somebody who's more equipped to handle it just happens to answer the phone. Like God is just very actively working on behalf of every person that calls into that place and even the staff. So that's, that's, uh, that's really been huge for me to see and be involved with. an eternal kind of life looks like, a life that says, 
I believe that Jesus is redeeming this world and I'm going to do something. It doesn't mean you have to invent something. You can join in with people already doing it. Our students here at Polaris uh, decided to use their gifts to make blankets uh, for kids uh, going through some pretty scary times. Here's what they did for the Akron Children's Hospital. So we just want to thank you guys so much for making these amazing blankets. They're super cute and the kids love them and we try and give them out to everybody who has a surgery or maybe is feeling kind of bad or maybe some kind of procedure. So we're really going to use them. We really appreciate it and keep them coming if you can. Yeah. Thanks for all your time. It can be simple things. It can be very deep and costly things. The idea, though, is that you decide, I am going to engage in the world around me. I am going to be a part of this eternal kind of life. I am going to be a redeemer and do something when I see things going on around me. So what is Jesus saying to you? Maybe it's time that you engage beyond just labeling the mess. Billboards and bullhorns have run their course in this country. And we don't need another Facebook post labeling sin. We need followers of Jesus who will step in and have mercy. Who will engage and, and build true friendships with people who don't think like they do and act like they do. And count on God to help you figure out next steps in that relationship. And it could be that someone who doesn't think like you or acts like you actually helps to redeem your character. Some of you have neighbors and you know uh, they don't have any kind of relationship with Jesus. And you've done the relational work. You've lent the weed whip. And you have lent, or you don't lend eggs, but you've given a couple of eggs uh, to work on the cupcakes to, to save the culinary day. And now it's time, though, for you to have mercy and compassion on the spiritual mess. And it's time for you to dig down deep and have a Jesus conversation. Or give the invite to church. You see the spiritual need. And you say, I, I'm going to do something redemptive there. And I know that that can be an all-in kind of moment, lump in throat heart in chest, stomach in chest, whatever. But it's time to engage in redemption on that level. Maybe it's time that you volunteer at the Oaks or mentor a kid at Crestview Elementary or look into adoption or fostering to engage in an eternal kind of life for children and families. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're not investing very much in redemption. Redeeming the situation cost the Samaritan something. He gave two days wages. That's what those coins were worth. And he said, I'll come back and pay more. I'll do the job. And if you look at your bank statements, which is one of the more telling uh, what's important to you, is your bank statement reflecting a redemptive kind of lifestyle are you giving your financial resources to redeeming the world around you or do they mostly point toward you 
Maybe it's time that your bank statements reflect an eternal kind of life. What is Jesus saying to you? All right. I want you to take one of those cheap, cheesy little coins that were supposed to be uh, ancient-looking plastic coins and instead look very modern and, and, and U.S. presidential Western. Thursday, they showed up on my doorstep, and so I was kind of out of options for ancient coins. But I, I want you to take one and, and maybe put one in, the, in the, the cup holder of your car or on your dresser or that little car handle interior door thing. <clears throat> and I, I want that coin to remind you of this story and, and that Samaritan who, who realized that, that those coins of his, they weren't really his, they were God's to be used as however God saw fit. They were to be used in God's redemptive story. And maybe you remember then that your car is not really your car. Your house is not really your house. Your time is not really your time. It's all God's. And it is to be available if we're followers of, followers of Jesus. It's to be available to God. To be a part of his redemptive story. And when you see that coin, take a good long look at your life and your resources. Time, energy, money. And ask. Am I using what I have, really? Am I really using what I have to do anything redemptive? And whether that answer is yes or no, you ask yourself, what can I do today to really join in God's redemptive story? All right, I want to do one last song. And as is typical at Polaris, during this song, if you have anything that you need to pray for, you just come on up. So let's stand. And if you have any prayer need at all, can be job, um, family. Uh, maybe there's some kind of a decision that you need to make in your relationship with Jesus. Um, any of that stuff. You just come on up while we're singing. I'll be up front. And, and I'd love to, to pray with you. So let's pray right now. God, uh, thank you for this incredible story. Thank you for, for taking eternal principles, um, your way of life, and communicating them to us in, in these timeless stories that stick with us. And I pray that, that throughout the week you would unlock truths from, from this powerful story and we would put two and two together as we're driving to work or as we're sitting at the dinner table. Um, I pray that you would show us in unmistakable ways uh, places that you want us to get involved in and redeem. And thank you for working to redeem us. In Jesus' name, amen.